And he says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one. As we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. From uh, this passage, from Jesus' prayer, I'll preach from the title, Unity Reveals Love. Unity reveals love. Uh, More than just about any passage in the Bible, these verses absolutely haunt me. Jesus is incredibly clear that his followers are to be known for our unity. That they may be one as we are one. I'm haunted by these words because of how the church has failed to live up to them. Whether you are a Christian or not, the disunity of our churches is plain to see. I'm haunted by Jesus' prayer, because in a world that is so splintered, the vision for loving community remains, to me at least, achingly beautiful. In John's telling, Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples before his arrest and eventual execution. We should hear in these words the the sober urgency of a man who knows these will be his last minutes with those he loves the most. In this climactic scene, Jesus prayed that his followers would be one so that the world would know God's love. I can get pretty discouraged when considering the fractured nature of Christianity. I believe that Jesus actually meant the things that he prayed for. But we so often choose our personal preferences and comforts over the boundary-crossing unity that Jesus intended for us. But then I start to look a little closer to home. And I realize that the unity Jesus prayed for us is available to us. You see, you right now in this room, are surrounded by people who are not you. Who don't think like you. Who didn't grow up like you. Who don't experience the world like you do. Who interpret the news differently than you do. Who have different desires than you do. Who have suffered different losses than you have. The potential for unity across cultural divisions is literally all around you right now. Which means, according to Jesus, 
that the possibility of showing the world God's love is as available to us today as it was to Jesus' first followers. Now, during this Easter season, we have been considering how Jesus' resurrection changes everything for us. How the resurrection changes our relationship to the creation, to justice, to our bodies. This morning, we'll reflect on the implications of the resurrection on our relationships with one another. On our reconciling community. So here's the one big idea in this message. Our unity demonstrates God's love. Our unity demonstrates God's love. Despite the fractured, polarized, and segregated nature of our society, the oneness that Jesus prayed for is available for us to experience and to enjoy. And this unity remains a powerful display of God's saving love. So with the time that I have, I want to share three reasons our unity displays God's love. First, unity comes from God. Second, unity is sustained by God's glory. And third, unity makes God known. Let's take the first. Our unity displays God's love because it comes from God. Jesus is here praying for oneness over a group of people who were not always one, who experienced all sorts of disunity. There were tax collectors and zealots in this group at polar ends of the ideological spectrum. There were personality differences among the disciples, competing agendas. All of these differences created the conditions for separation. Something that you and I know something about, right? We know what it is to exist within conditions that that bend naturally toward separation. A recent study done uh, by researchers in Boston, Philadelphia, and Israel uh, looked at the impacts of political polarization. And in the the journal that they published uh, their findings, they wrote this. In general, Republicans believe that Democrats hold more dehumanizing and prejudicial views towards Republicans than they actually do, and vice versa. This isn't to say that each party doesn't harbor these feelings towards the other group at all. However, both groups believe the other party does it more than they actually do. Consequentially, the more one thinks the opposition dehumanizes them, the less they care about fair politics. We're seeing that all around us. You and I are not immune to the forces of division and separation. Our very identity as a local congregation is built on the idea that Jesus has reconciled us in himself. We say of ourselves that we are a reconciled community, that through the shed blood of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God and to one each other. And we also say that we are a reconciling community, that we have been called to be ambassadors of Christ's reconciliation, actively participating in the ministry of reconciliation in our world. And yet, we too feel the impact of the splintering society that we are a part of. The pandemic has not exactly created conditions for unity, has it? 
We have felt its impact. Those of you who have been around our church for a long time started to show uh, up again in person this fall and looked around saying, I don't recognize this church. (laughs) Now, there's always turnover in local congregations, right? It's just that we experienced all of that in a very short amount of time because we've been apart from each other. And then two years later, we come back together and we say, hold on, I don't know you. (laughs) I don't know a lot of you. And maybe you're newer to this church and and you show up looking for community and you're like, why do these old timers seem a little bit skittish and confused about their church? The, the, The pandemic itself has exploited the tendencies towards splintering and separation. And, and given that, there can be a tendency to try to enforce unity, to try to force it somehow, to, to make it happen. What we end up doing is, is trying to enforce certain beliefs or, or certain behaviors. And when we do, what we're after is not unity, but uniformity, which is not, in fact, what Jesus calls us to. He says in verse 21, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, the source of our unity is not enforced uniformity. The source of our unity is the triune God. We have been united, as we saw two weeks ago, in Christ Jesus. Our collective incorporation with God is the source, the ground, the foundation of our unity with each other. If the person sitting next to you has said yes to Jesus, then you have been incorporated into God with that person. And that is the foundation of our unity. Jesus says this is also the template of our unity, what our unity is to look like. He says, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. In other words, may their unity look something like our unity. May the way they live and love each other look something like the way the Trinity engages with itself. Unity in distinction. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Christian oneness is unity in diversity. Which begs the question for each of us in this moment particularly, are we receiving God's gift of unity? Do we want to receive God's gift of reconciling community? Our family has been uh, especially busy over the past month or so. We have soccer games and orchestra. We have multiple graduate school classes being taken at the same time. There's a lot going on in the Swanson household. But uh, for whatever reason, we had put, just kind of held a, a Sunday afternoon lunch on the calendar for a little while, saying we want to invite some folks from church over to eat. And, and even though it's been this busy season, last Sunday we got to sit around our table with some folks from our congregation, just getting to know each other a little bit, just enjoying a meal together. No, no big agenda, just here's some food, let's eat and enjoy one another's company. And I know that sounds really basic, but for me lately, that's sort of my capacity, my ability to receive the gift of God's unity for me and for God's people. I I realize that today in this season, finding community, experiencing community can feel very slow to some of us. For others of us, it can feel almost impossible, like you're looking for it, you want it, but we're all a bit wobbly right now. Um, 
For me, at least, it helps to remember that that, uh, unity, uh, reconciling community, does not just naturally happen to us. Yes, it comes from God, but there are all sorts of forces at work to pull us apart from one another. From the very basic stuff of personality differences and busy schedules to the much more cosmic stuff, the bigger stuff, the systemic stuff, the pandemic, the insatiable demands of consumer capitalism that have all of us going all of the time, the way that race segregates us from each other, and so on. There are forces that are working against our experience of unity. The other thing that that helps me when I'm feeling as though unity, community is especially slow going these days, is to remember that it does come from God. That it is not something we conjure up on our own. And that God's promises are always good. And that God keeps all of God's promises. And so I think for for most of us these days, as we are asking God for community, looking for ways to experience the unity that God promises us, there is maybe a reminder to be patient. To be patient with each other. We're all a bit wobbly right now. But to trust that God actually wants to give us the gifts that God has promised to give us. Amen? So our unity displays God's love because it comes from God. So how today, practically, are you choosing to receive the gift God desires to give us? Second, our unity displays God's love because it is sustained by God's glory. Some of you know what it's like to be the glue that holds your family together. You know what it's like to be the one who's got to talk to this family member because this family member won't talk to that family member. And, and you know what it's like when, when, when everything hits the fan that you're the one that this person comes to and this person comes to and this person comes to. And then you got to translate what this person said in a way that this person can actually understand. Some of you know what it feels like to be the person who's trying to hold the whole family together. And you know that it's exhausting. And I'm going to just add a little pastoral note here. It's unhealthy for you to stay in that place for a long term, maybe a little season. But that is not a role that any of us are meant to play. I say that confessionally because there are times when I have been tempted to play that role in our church. Got all these different people coming from different places, different experiences, different expectations, different ideas about what worship is supposed to sound like, how long the sermon is supposed to go, how you collect an offering. And I need to talk with this person and this person and make sure that this person understands what this person thinks. Holding together unity is beyond any of our capacities. Whether that's in a church or in a family, a relational group of people, it is beyond our capacity. Some of us could be a lot less tired if we just recognized that we've been doing stuff we were never meant to do. Some of us would actually be able to rest a little bit more because we'd be able to say no a little bit more often if we recognize that we've been trying to do something that only God is able to do. I'm speaking to myself, but I have a hunch there's at least two or three of you who know what I'm talking about. So if we cannot sustain unity, what is it that sustains our unity? And Jesus says twice that it is the glory of God. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that 
they may be one as we are one. He says something similar in verse 24. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is God's majesty. It's God's greatness. It's God's holiness. It's God's power. It's God's godness. It's what makes God utterly different than you and me. It's the attribute, the character of God, that when we are in the presence of God, we realize that we may be consumed by the glory of God. It's what makes Moses take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. Maybe the the, the quintessential passage about the glory of God would, would happen in the wilderness as God has liberated his people and they are on the way to the promised land. They stand at the base of the mountain and in Exodus 24 and 17, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the Israelites. Jesus says it's the glory of God that maintains our unity, that sustains our unity. But we need to break it down a little bit more. Because in John chapter 1, verse 14, we discover that God's glory is most perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. In other words, the glory that ought to have consumed us, ought to have overwhelmed and overcome us, has been enfleshed in the person of Jesus. The glory of God has become accessible to you and to me. Am I the only one that thinks that's absolutely amazing? The glory of God becomes embodied, incarnate in the person of Jesus and thus becomes accessible. But not only that, the glory of God embodied in Jesus becomes most perfectly visible and expressed on the cross. So Jesus, as he turns his face to the cross in John chapter 12 and 23, says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. God's glory most perfectly manifested, most perfectly expressed is in the Son of God who took on our flesh going to the cross. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, walking along the road with a couple of disciples, says in Luke 24 and 26, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Unity, our unity, is not sustained by us. Impossible. It is sustained by God's glory. It is enfleshed in Jesus. And it is most powerfully displayed on the cross. In other words, when we imagine God's unity, unity sustaining glory, it's not the fire and the smoke of Sinai that we should picture but the broken body of Jesus holding us together. I've said this before, but these days, the way that I am describing what it means to be church is that we are broken people moving toward other broken people, sustained by the broken body of Christ. And the broken body of Christ is the glory of God holding us together. Somebody say amen. This might be an invitation for some of you to say, I want that. 
that I am tired of trying to hold it together, that I am tired of being the one who's trying to always keep everybody at the table. I can't do it. The invitation is for you and I to place our faith in the one who allowed his body to be poured out on our behalf, healing us, saving us, putting us back together. The glory that sustains our community will most often look like the cross of Jesus. Sometimes there will be the smoke and the fire, amen? But on a daily basis, it will look like the suffering servant taking on our flesh, taking on our sin, and putting it to death. We can expect to experience the glory of God in those kinds of ways with one another. How does your life in this community display the glory of God in the crucified Savior? How is the way that you love and pray and serve one another demonstrate the heart of the gospel? Glory personified, poured out for us and for our salvation. Our unity displays God's love because it's sustained not by us, but by God's glory. A glory manifest on the cross. And then finally, our unity displays God's love because it makes God known. Our community comes from God. It's sustained by God's glory. But here is something really important. Our unity is not an end in itself. Our unity is not a goal in itself. That's not where it stops. Jesus says, so that the world may believe you have sent me. And then again, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what our unity is for. So how? How does our unity reveal that the Father sent His Son to demonstrate His love for the world? Well, think about it like this. If, the, if unity is from God, if unity is sustained by the glory of God made visible on the cross, then it makes sense that our life together must point beyond itself to the God who makes this unity possible. Maybe you've uh, been outside on a hot summer day and you've looked up and seen some you know, large bird of prey just hovering high up in the sky, sustained by the updrafts, just hovering in place. Or, or maybe you can picture a rainbow in the sky after a thunderstorm. Or maybe, maybe you've seen a, a picture where a child has been tossed up in the air by a loving parent, but the, the parent has been cropped out of the picture and it's just the child seemingly suspended in midair. Each of these examples, the the bird in the air, the rainbow in the sky, the child suspended above her father's loving arms, each of these point beyond themselves to the circumstances which allow them to be possible. This is what our unity is meant to do as well, to point beyond ourselves to the God who makes our reconciling community possible. Does that make sense? The diverse people of God reconcile the cross-cultural hostilities, point beyond ourselves to our God. And this God is love. Now, I want to press a little bit here. To make God known, our unity cannot be theoretical. 
it cannot be a theological idea that we agree with. Our unity has to be embodied. It has to be visible. Uh, there are there is a tendency, especially in these pandemic days, to associate with church. <laughs> That's my church. Uh, but it's only your church if your church knows that it's your church. <laughs> is it okay if I, can we do this for a second? <laughs> I, I say this gently and tenderly because, again, we're all a bit wobbly right now, right? We're all broken people. But friends, there can be no unity. There can be no reconciled community that is not embodied. And we have had to depend on cameras and screens. But that is a temporary measure. That is a temporary crutch that we've all needed to lean on and we're all very thankful for. But it is not a replacement for life together as the embodied people of God. Can I lean in a little bit more? We are going to have a members meeting uh, after service today. I want to remind those of you who are members of New Community Covenant Church that one of the things that you said yes to was simply to be present regularly. Um, Now, that's not a super high bar. (laughs) It's to say that, that, that if you've said that this is your congregation, then you are the church. You don't go to church. You don't visit church. You don't associate with church. You just are the church. And there is no church without you. Now, again, I want to be clear here. This is not me saying like, oh, we don't have enough people at our church. We need more people at our church. No, we're good. We trust God for that. But our commitment from day one as a congregation has been to live as the reconciled people of God. To experience it. To be able to taste and see of God's goodness among the people of God. Our identity, the core of who we are, is a reconciled and reconciling community. That's who we are. We have been reconciled. God has already done this. But we are called to be active reconcilers. Through the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And as a church, we say we do that in three very practical ways. We nurture community, we serve in ministry, and we engage in outreach with our, with our friends in the, in the community. You heard all about outreach last week as Sonia and her team led us. Many of you are serving in ministry. The thing that we are all called to do is to nurture community together. I can't do that for you. <laughs> Pastor Michelle can't do that for you. The prayer ministry can't do that for you. We all do that together. Amen? Amen. We all get to do that together. And we need to say this, church, because we live in a consumer-oriented society. I'm going way off the notes right now, so let me be careful. Marquita, you pull me back in if you need to. We live in a consumer-oriented society that has impacted me. That that shapes my expectations so that I show up to church ready to get something. And I judge the validity of my church experiences by whether I got something or not. Right? So we just have to be honest about that. Like we all breathe that air together. Right? And what we have said as a church is that we're not going to do that here. 
that we are not a collection of individualistic consumers. We are the people of God together. We have been incorporated in God together. So we are going to live differently. Sometimes that's very radical. Sometimes that means collectively being in the street together. But you know what? Most of the time, it's like having coffee with somebody. It, it, it's, it's, it's being prompted by the Spirit during the week to pray for somebody and texting him and saying, hey, I'm praying for you right now. It's not, it's not generally spectacular stuff. It's normally just like the small stuff of life which expresses our commitment to being the people of God together. Amen? Amen. How can you do this? How can we nurture our community this summer? Well, I want to start by just saying some of you are doing it. <laughs> And we have benefited from that. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sonia had, I don't know how many, and Maggie had how many people show up at the, at the garden yesterday and knocked it all out. It wasn't exactly pleasant weather conditions either. But you all showed up. You served together. And that's one of the ways that you nurtured our community together. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. There will be monthly cookouts this summer, Lord willing, that they're already planned, already on the calendar. Show up to those. Invite somebody to those. Bring some food. Volunteer to run the grill. I don't know. Again, not rocket science, right, Ken? This is like, this is, we can all do this kind of stuff together. Some of you feel a real burden in prayer right now. Reach out. Don't hold that to yourself. Reach out to someone in our church. Say, hey, I'm praying into this. Would you pray with me on this? Maybe make a commitment once a month. You're going to invite somebody in your church that you don't know all that well to coffee or to a meal or to a walk. I mean, basic. Once a month, June, July, and August. You can think of a lot of other ideas. The point I'm trying to make is that though this way of living is super countercultural, the implementation and the expression of it is actually not that complicated. And we all do it together. Our unity displays God's love. Because it makes God known. Our reconciling community points beyond itself to the God whose love draws us to one another. In these pandemic days, most of us find ourselves longing in some way for more community. uh, For less loneliness, less isolation. These days have reminded us that God created us for one another. That the relational fissures that seem so normal in our society are not what we were made for. We actually need one another. And the unity which is from God, which is sustained by God's glory, which makes God known, this unity is good news for us. In the imperfect gathering together of the reconciled people of God, we find the antidote to our society's sickness of isolation, segregation, mistrust, animosity, and so on. So yes, we absolutely lean into community because it is here that God puts together what sin has torn apart. It's good for us. It's really good for us. But... I want to end with just a little caution or challenge. In a society which currently targets Asian American people for harassment and death, which in our city scapegoats black youth for the violence animating our collective economy, 
which treats the Buffalo murders as anomalies rather than the very predictable and recurring expressions of white supremacist terror that they actually are. In this world, the reconciled and reconciling people of God must remember that our oneness is not only or even mostly for ourselves. And if you're new to our church, I need you to hear this and to understand this and to decide if you want to stay at our church because this is very important to us. The oneness which Jesus prayed for, the oneness which is the Father's desire for his children, the oneness which is made possible by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit among us, this oneness, hear me please, is an embodied testimony to the demonic forces of destruction and death, that their days are numbered. Our unity is God's no to evil. Our reconciling community is a divine rebuke to the principalities and powers which steal, kill, and destroy. Are you hearing me? Jesus' prayer for our oneness was not primarily a prayer for your relational needs to be met. Which isn't to say that our relational needs will not be met. But that was not the primary emphasis of what Jesus was praying. No, his prayer, as he turned away from his disciples to face that skull-shaped battleground with the forces of evil, his prayer was for communities of unlikely friends, improbable sisters and brothers, questionable saints, whose very existence would bear witness to the power of the resurrection to reconcile all things. Our unity demonstrates God's love. And the stakes really could not be higher. But please, please don't, please don't be confused. This calling is a blessing and never a burden. Why? Because this reconciling community is a gift from God. It is a manifestation of the answer to Jesus' prayer for us. Can we think about that for a second? Our community, imperfect as it is, is a manifestation of God's answer to Jesus' prayer. I hope you get the chills just a little bit about that. We cannot manufacture reconciliation. Our differences are way too different. The splinters and fractures of our society run through our own psyches and souls. No, the the gift of boundary-crossing, love-proclaiming community is possible only because it is the Father's answer to the Son's prayer. And so while we cannot create the miraculous conditions for our unity, it is up to us whether or not we will receive it. Is there someone you've been separated from? What step towards reconciliation can you take this week? 
Has the Holy Spirit given you a burden? Who can you recruit to pray with this week? Do your closest friendships follow the predictable hierarchies of our society? Who can you reach out to? Who can you invite into friendship? But more than that, in new community, we cannot forget this. Our community is a witness to the love of God. Not because of us, not because of how well we protect our unity. This community is a gift from God, sustained by the cruciform glory of God. Which is precisely why you and I, with all of our fears and wounds and unmet expectations, it's precisely why we can bear witness to the love of God. Spirit of God. Worship team, you all come on up. Spirit of God. We, um, I think of the way that, that, um, that Esther called us this morning to renounce the, the lies of this world and to, to hear the truth of your gospel uh, proclaimed over us today. And so each of the ways that, that lies have made us content in our isolation, our segregation, our disjointedness from one another, we, we say no to those today. We say yes to the prayer that your son prayed for us. It is so easy to look around our world and feel overwhelmed. To feel as though those forces which pull us apart, which, which, which aim towards, um, towards oppression and segregation, um, to feel as though those are the forces that will win the day. So we remind ourselves today that If Jesus prayed something, it's as good as done. If Jesus asked his father for something, it's as good as done. And so we will recognize that you have already answered that prayer among us. Even while while we ask for more, even as we desire uh, deeper and greater experiences of the gift of unity you have for us, we recognize that, that we are already experiencing it. And so we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray today for those... Um, for those who have been uncertain, who feel uncertain about what it means to, um, to take a, a few steps deeper into the life of, of this particular community. Would you steady us? Would you steady us through your own broken body, which is the reality which holds us together? Would you give us creative and practical ideas of how we can each Nurture the life of this community. Remind us today that our very presence is meant to be a powerful witness to the love of God for the world. Remind us that though we each have uh, different needs and longings, different places where we need to be put back together, you don't want to do that work in us apart from the work that you want to do among all of us. So bear witness to yourself, Lord Jesus, through Uh, this imperfect and broken community. Testify to your love through our presence together. Minister deeply to us. Heal us as we move closer to you together. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, who's...